In the past two weeks alone, I've received four requests to read you some Bartome, including one that was less a request than an outright jacuse to the effect of, what's the matter with you? What do you have against Bartome? And there might have been a few words in there that I don't feel like repeating because they're naughty and therefore precious to me. But the thing is, Bartome is great, but I'm not really sure that I could do it justice. However, tonight I'm on the mend, but definitely still bowing to the effects of a strept throat. Stretched, stropped, you know the sort, with chainsaws and razor blades planted all the way down there. Fairly unpleasant. Which means, one, I have a good excuse if it turns out crap, and two, for those of you who've asked and cursed, you're lucky. So good evening. It's Tuesday, the 19th of February, 2008, and it's me at Bedtime Story Podcast. Some of us had been threatening our friend Colby, by Donald Bartlemy. Some of us had been threatening our friend Colby for a long time, because of the way he had been behaving. And now he'd gone too far, so we decided to hang him. Colby argued that just because he had gone too far, he did not deny that he had gone too far, did not mean that he should be subjected to hanging. Going too far, he said, was something everybody did sometimes. We didn't pay much attention to this argument. We asked him what sort of music he would like played at the hanging. He said he'd think about it, but it would take him a while to decide. I pointed out that we'd have to know soon, because Howard, who was a conductor, would have to hire and rehearse the musicians, and he couldn't begin until he knew what the music was going to be. Colby said he'd always been fond of Ives' Fourth Symphony. Howard said that this was a delaying tactic, and that everybody knew that the Ives was almost impossible to perform and would involve weeks of rehearsal and that the size of the orchestra and chorus would put us way over the music budget. Be reasonable, he said to Colby. Colby said he'd try to think of something a little less exacting. Hugh was worried about the wording of the invitations. What if one of them fell into the hands of the authorities? Hanging Colby was doubtless against the law, and if the authorities learned in advance what the plan was, they would very likely come in and try to mess everything up. I said that although hanging Colby was almost certainly against the law, we had a perfect moral right to do so because he was our friend, belonged to us in various important senses, and he had, after all, gone too far. We agreed that the invitations would be worded in such a way that the person invited could not know for sure what he was being invited to. We decided to refer to the event as an event involving Mr. Colby Williams. A handsome script was selected from a catalogue and we picked a cream-coloured paper. Magnus said, He'd see to having the invitations printed and wondered whether we should serve drinks. 
Colby said he thought drinks would be nice, but worried about the expense. We told him kindly that the expense didn't matter, that we were, after all, his dear friends, and if a group of his dear friends couldn't get together and do the thing with a little bit of éclat, why, what was the world coming to? Colby asked if he would be able to have drinks too before the event. We said, certainly. Now, the next item of business was the gibbet. None of us knew too much about gibbet design, but Thomas, who was an architect, said he'd look it up in old books and draw the plans. The important thing, as far as he recollected, was that the trapdoor functioned perfectly. He said that just roughly counting labour and materials, it shouldn't run us more than four hundred dollars. Good God, Howard said. He said, what was Thomas figuring on, rosewood? No, just a good grade of pine, Thomas said. Victor asked if unpainted pine wouldn't look kind of raw, and Thomas replied that he thought it could be stained a dark walnut without too much trouble. I said that although I thought the whole thing ought to be done really well and all, I also thought $400 for a gibbet on top of the expense for the drinks invitations, musicians, and everything was a bit steep. And why didn't we just use a tree? A nice-looking oak or something? I pointed out that since it was going to be a June hanging, the trees would be in glorious leaf, and that not only would a tree add a kind of natural feeling, but it was also strictly traditional, especially in the West. Thomas, who had been sketching gibbets on the backs of envelopes, reminded us that an outdoor hanging always had to contend with the threat of rain. Victor said he liked the idea of doing it outdoors, possibly on the bank of a river, but noted that we would have to hold it some distance from the city, which presented the problem of getting the guests, musicians, etc. to the site and then back to town. At this point, everybody looked at Harry, who runs a car and truck rental business. Harry said he thought he could round up enough limousines to take care of that end, but that the drivers would have to be paid. The drivers, he pointed out, wouldn't be friends of Colby's and couldn't be expected to donate their services any more than the bartender or the musicians. He said that he had about ten limousines which he used mostly for funerals, and that he could probably obtain another dozen by calling around to friends of his in the trade. He also said that if we did it outside, in the open air, we'd better figure on a tent or awning of some kind to cover at least the principals and the orchestra, because if the hanging was being rained on, he thought it would look kind of dismal. As between gibbet and tree, he said, he had no particular preferences, and he really thought the choice ought to be left up to Colby, since it was his hanging. Colby said that everybody went too far sometimes, and weren't we being a little draconian? Howard said rather sharply that all that had already been discussed, and which did he want, gibbet or tree? Colby asked if he could have a firing squad. No, Howard said, he could not. 
Howard said a firing squad would just be an ego trip for Colby, the blindfold and last cigarette bit, and that Colby was in enough hot water already without trying to upstage everyone with unnecessary theatrics. Colby said he was sorry. He hadn't meant it that way. He'd take the tree. Tomas crumpled up the gibbet sketches he'd been making in disgust. Then the question of the hangman came up. Peter said, did we really need a hangman? Because if we use a tree, the noose could be adjusted to the appropriate level and Colby could just jump off something, a chair or stool or something. Besides, Pete said, he very much doubted if there were any freelance hangmen wandering around the country now that capital punishment has been done away with absolutely temporarily, and that we'd probably have to fly one in from England or Spain or one of the South American countries. And even if we did that, how could we know in advance that the man was a professional, a real hangman, and not just some money-hungry amateur who might bungle the job and shame us all in front of everybody? We all agreed then that Colby should just jump off something and that a chair was not what he should jump off of because that would look, we felt, extremely tacky. Some old kitchen chair sitting out there under our beautiful tree. Tomas, who is quite modern in outlook and not afraid of innovation, proposed that Colby be standing on a large round rubber ball, ten feet in diameter. This, he said, would afford a sufficient drop, and would also roll out of the way if Colby suddenly changed his mind after jumping off. He reminded us that by not using a regular hangman, we were placing an awful lot of the responsibility for the success of the affair on Colby himself, and that although he was sure Colby would perform creditably and not disgrace his friends at the last minute, still, Men have been known to get a little irresolute at times like that, and the ten-foot round rubber ball, which could probably be fabricated rather cheaply, would ensure a bang-up production right down to the wire. At the mention of wire, Hank, who had been silent all this time, suddenly spoke up and said he wondered if it wouldn't be better if we used wire instead of rope. More efficient, and in the end kinder to Colby, he suggested. Colby began looking a little green, and I didn't blame him, because there is something extremely distasteful in thinking about being hanged with wire instead of rope. It gives you a sort of revulsion when you think about it. I thought it was really quite unpleasant of Hank to be sitting there talking about wire just when we had sought the problem of what Colby was going to jump off of so neatly with Tomas's idea about the rubber ball, so I hastily said that wire was out of the question, because it would injure the tree, cut into the branch it was tied to when Colby's full weight hit it, and that in these days of increased respect for the environment we didn't want that, did we? Colby gave me a grateful look, and the meeting broke up. Everything went off very smoothly on the day of the event. The music Colby finally picked was standard stuff, Elgar, 
and it was played very well by Howard and his boys. It didn't rain, the event was well attended, and we didn't run out of scotch or anything. The ten-foot rubber ball had been painted a deep green and blended in well with the bucolic setting. The two things I remember best about the whole episode are the grateful look Colby gave me when I said what I said about the wire, and the fact that nobody has ever gone too far again.